The epistle lesson assigned for this Sunday is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version updated edition. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. In today's gospel reading, Jesus asks the disciples that famous question, who do you say that I am? Now we could go at that text from a lot of directions. It is such an important question, not just for the disciples, but for every follower of Christ. Who do we say Jesus is? There are many legitimate approaches to that question and to today's gospel text. But I am not preaching on today's gospel text. Instead, I am going with the epistle reading because it seems to me that Paul is posing a sort of companion question for the new Christ followers in Rome. Not just who do you say Jesus is, but who do you think you are? Not that Paul would ever discount the importance of the gospel question, who do you say Jesus is? That was a major question in Paul's time only maybe 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death by crucifixion. People were struggling to accommodate a whole new idea of God, trying to fit it into their previous understanding of religion and society. How would Christ fit into the lives they had been living? But for Paul, the Christ followers also need to think about who they are not so they can fit Christ into their lives, but so that they understand how they fit into Christ. That is what faith is for Paul, participation in the body of Christ. Faith in Christ is far more than believing a set of propositions about Christ. It is even more than trusting Christ. Faith for Paul involves entering into a union with Christ. His body in some way becomes your own so that his faith becomes your own. Have faith in Christ and you will receive the faith of 
Christ. Just as Paul says we're baptized into Christ, he also says we believe into Christ. For Paul, it is not faith unless you are united with the body of Christ participating in it. Now, this was also true for our 15th and 16th century ancestors in the unity of brethren. For our spiritual forebears, faith was not just a set of beliefs. Faith was placing your life into the context of Christ, participating in the body. This kind of participation was essential. In fact, it was an essential, one of our Moravian essentials. The definition of those essentials is so broad and simple, you could put them on a bumper sticker or even a coffee cup. Thank you, William. (laughs) Here they are. The essentials are the things without which you don't have church. On the part of God, there are three essentials. God creates, God redeems, God blesses. On the part of humanity, there are three essentials, which are our response. We respond to God in faith, love, and hope. Take away any one of these essentials from either God's part or our own, and what is left is not church. Paul urges upon his readers the participation that is the essential that we know as faith. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. A more literal translation would be, which is your logical divine service. It only makes sense to give your bodies to God. For Paul, it is not faith unless you have some skin in the game. And that being the case, You'd better give some thought to the skin that you're offering. Bodies are important to Paul. Anyone who thinks Paul scorns the flesh has not really read Paul. Paul's is a very fleshy faith. He writes about bodies all the time. What you do with your body matters a lot. What you do as part of the body of Christ matters a lot. So if you are to be a member of the body of Christ, take a good look at yourself. What are you bringing into the body? Who do you think you are? Now, usually when you hear that question, it carries quite a bit of frost. Who do you think you are? It suggests that you have a natural place and you have stepped out of it. Paul does not actually ask, who do you think you are? But he seems to imply the question, and maybe even a little bit of frost, with these cautionary words, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now here we get a glimpse of a particular problem of the Christ followers in Rome. They may be just a little too proud of themselves. Just before these verses, Paul quotes Isaiah, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been the Lord's counselor? Whatever has been going on in this fledgling church, Paul reminds them they are not as smart as God. 
They need to take a sane and sober look at themselves. Whoever they think they are, they had better not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. Now, it's funny, I can hear that phrase from somewhere in my childhood. Like the voice of a little angel on my right shoulder, the one who tried to keep me in line. A phrase that was so familiar that when I read it, I suspected it was something that I had heard a lot in worship when I was growing up. So I went looking for it. And sure enough, I found it in the red hymnal that we were using when I was a child, <clears throat> the Liturgy of Covenanting, the one we used today, which alludes to this very text. Save us from being conformed to this world, from thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, maybe the angel on my other shoulder was the smart aleck, or maybe she was actually the editor that I would grow up to be, as most authors will tell you, it's pretty hard to tell the difference between a smart aleck and an editor. But whenever the angel on my right said more highly than you ought to think, the one on the left would ask, well, just how highly is that exactly? As Christians, we ask ourselves, how high may we go in our self-esteem? Are we allowed to be pleased as we learn new things, develop new skills, grow? Are we allowed to feel pride in a job well done? Are we allowed to like who we are? Or is that stepping out of place? In the American Protestant tradition is a strain of self-abasement that I think can hurt us. If in striving not to think too highly of ourselves, we wind up thinking too little of ourselves all the way to hating ourselves because we have some idea that that is how we please God. That goes back a long way in American history. Colonial preacher Jonathan Edwards famously preached that God hates us, that we are abominable in God's eyes. As Americans, sisters and brothers, that is part of our religious heritage. Fortunately, it is not our only religious heritage. Other spiritual leaders, including Zinzendorf, would say, hold the phone. God made us. Would God's own creations be abominable in God's eyes? Are we not allowed to value ourselves as the work of God's hands? Definitely. In fact, I think we're obligated because if we don't understand that we are valuable to God, we will assume we don't belong to the body. On the other hand, if we value ourselves too highly, we may not want to associate with those we value less. Either way, we probably won't want to participate in the body. And so either way, the body suffers. And so do we. Paul urges us instead to use the discernment available through the Holy Spirit to see the value of our gifts and everyone else's. Everyone is equally precious and necessary to God. All gifts come from the Holy Spirit so that we can all contribute to the body. All gifts are different, just as eyes, ears, feet, and hands have different roles in the bodies to which they belong. 
I told you Paul loves to write about bodies. This metaphor of body parts that he uses in today's text, body parts working in harmony, it's one of his most famous. You'll see it again in 1 Corinthians. Here he seems to concentrate mostly on the importance of using our gifts in proportion to how they're given. He warns the Romans that if their self-image rises out of proportion to their gifts, that brings trouble to the whole body. But doesn't trouble also come when our self-image falls too low? We can imagine what would happen if everyone in a church thought more highly of themselves than they ought to think. But what if no one in the church thought highly enough? In either case, the church would die. Because in either case, the church would lose something essential. Thinking too highly of ourselves can cause us to devalue others. Thinking too little of ourselves can send us into despair. So the one church would have no love, and the other church would have no hope. And without love on the one hand or hope on the other, who would participate in the body? No participation means no faith, not as Paul understands it. No faith, no love, no hope, no church. Participation in Christ's body matters to Paul. Listen to his emotion. I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Where this translation says, I appeal to you, others read, I urge you, I beseech you, I am entreating you. Participation is so important that this great leader of the church is willing to beg. Why? Because he wants the Christ followers to place their lives into the context of God and the church. He wants them to have the kind of faith that unites them with Christ. He wants them to believe into Christ, to put their skin in the game. So who do they think they are? It is not a frosty question. It is an inviting question. Paul invites us, too, into thoughtful reflection on our gifts and the gifts of others. If we have stepped out of place, he invites us into the place where we all truly belong. That's the body of Christ. He urges us to ask not how Christ fits into our lives, but ask how we fit into the life and faith of Christ. Now, to find our way into the body of Christ, we can ponder three questions. There is the one from today's gospel reading where Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? There's the question implied in today's epistle reading, who do you think you are? And there's a third question, one that Christ asks of each of us, who do I say you are? Our answers to the first two will change over time. As we learn more about Christ, we will have more to say about who he is. As we're transformed by our walk with Christ, we'll have new thoughts about who we are. But the answer to the third question never changes. Christ's answer is always the same. 
Who do I think you are, says Jesus? That's easy. You are my beloved. And you are part of me forever. Amen.